Today's market call is presented by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. That is badass. Our crack staff in uh, lower Manhattan getting stuff done. Carter Worth, how are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You look good. I like the shirt. You got it unbuttoned. You're feeling good on this fall day. Fall day. That's right. We're going to get right into it. First of all, in the chat section, um, Dan Nathan's birthday. So I want everybody to wish Dan a happy Ah. birthday. He's 51. I don't know if that means I'm daxing him or something like that, but whatever. He's 51 years old. I mean, you can look it up in the Google machine. But Carter, yesterday, obviously, we had a little bit of a dicey day. Today, the Dow is up. The S&P is up a quarter of a percent-ish. NASDAQ unchanged. Not a lot going on. I guess they're waiting for some commentary which gives us to our first slide from the Bloomberg. And we're talking about what everybody's seemingly been waiting for for the last couple of weeks, um, the Federal Reserve and will they or won't they? This is what I would submit, Carter. I don't even know if it matters at this point. I think um, I don't want to say the damage that they've done, but the work that they've done already over the last year and a half, two years is already in place and will take hold at some point. So whether they move a quarter of a point or not, I don't know if it necessarily matters. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's right. There's always a lag effect to a tightening. But I mean, what they've done, of course, what they're always doing is doing or undoing what they already did. So all right. of this is undoing what they did. What they did was responding to a pandemic, and many people say quite successfully and so forth. So if you think about it, their game, because, you know, there's that great adage, don't fight the Fed. If you are at the poker table um, and you have all the biggest stack, you are playing poker for one, which is an odd thing. And so everything they do every day when it really gets down to it is doing more of what they've already done or undoing what they've already done. But they're basically at the game at the table by themselves. You know, it's uh, interesting. You say, it's, but it's interesting you say don't fight the Fed. And that obviously was true for years, um, if not decades, when the Fed was keeping interest rates low, um, obviously adding liquidity to the system. If you were bearish under those circumstances during that time period, you were fighting the Fed, and that proved to be a foolish thing to do. But what's interesting, if you think about since October specifically of last year, so we're approaching 11, 12 months in terms of the market, um, if you've been fighting the Fed by being bullish, you've actually done okay for yourself, as somewhat counterintuitive as that is. So there'll be people out there that say, wait a second, you know, I've been long stocks, I've been fighting the Fed, and it's been working out. I submit it's just a matter of time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and again, that gets down to when you speak a matter of time, it's all about one's time frame, right? And and how one is thinking. It's like and just making this point in terms of equities and earnings, there is no relationship with the underlying uh, profits of a company and what their stock does this week, next week on a rolling six or nine month basis. Is there a relationship between earnings? And the share price over four and five and 10 years, if you lose money for 10 years straight, pretty much your stock's going down. And if you make a lot of money, uh, your stock goes up. So that the point about relationships with interest rates uh, and uh, valuation with the Fed and the market, um, longer term or over time, let's use it the better way, there is a fairly um, a sort of concomitant relationship or cause and effect. But here and now, this week, this month, this hour, making a buck in the market, trading long or short, so futures or individual equities or treasuries, it's, it's about money flow. It's about sequencing. It's about charts. 
concomitant. I like that. It's like a character from um, that Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator. Anyway, let's go to our yields chart because we have a question from V CBW. Is the 10-year yield going higher or is this a bit of a triple top here? And I think he brings up a good point. You've been talking about yields. You know, I think you're, you're of the belief that we're topping out here. I have a different uh, view. I think yields are going higher. But again, that's what makes markets. Yesterday, we sure. closed around 436, I think was the highest close we've seen in a better part of a year. So, you know, let's just talk about this. This uptrend is intact. Yields have been stubborn, I guess, for lack of a better word. Do we fail here? And if we fail here, if yields start to go down, what is that on the back of? What do you think it means? Yeah, but I, I mean, again, I, I think uh, one has to, as always, either do one or two things, make a bet on a short, so that's two things, or don't trade. And many people, uh, a lot of clients saying, look, we're just not going to fool with this here because it's too binary. We're either going to really move breakout, yields move a lot higher, or this is the top. I'm in the, that we are peaking, have peaked, and for what it's worth, just the, I mean, the, the numbers are the numbers, we're exact same level we were a year ago. So mm-hmm. October 21st was the high of 2022. We are now September uh, 21st. It's the 20th, of course, but uh, one year later. And uh, all the world is watching for the break. And I just don't think we're going to get it. And even if we were, it's likely to be a false breakout, slight new bump up in highs in yields, and then ultimately succumb. Uh, it, it, it was record shorts yeah, still in treasuries. Uh, I think you want to take the road less traveled here. And so uh, for me, I'm a buyer of long dated and short dated uh, treasury paper. Meaning that yields are going to go lower. And it's interesting that you mentioned a false breakout. I'm going to sort of tease to something because we're going to speak about a potential false breakout a little later in this show. This is a question from Matrix of Compassion. He or she is here every day. Appreciate having Guy and Carter on today. Thank you. Carter, Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your W charting midnight video analysis. Absolutely. Here's his question. Can you talk about gold? Gold is above its 200-day, 150-day moving averages. Thanks. We can throw up a gold chart. And this is what I've said, Carter, and I want to hear your thoughts. I'm impressed by how well gold is traded recently in the face of higher rates, which typically knocks gold lower, and in the face of, at least until today, a stronger dollar, which is typically also a headwind for gold. So I would submit, looking at this, we're on the cusp of something, and I've been saying this for a while, but I do think we're on the precipice of something happening meaningfully to the upside. What are your thoughts on that, CB Dubs? I'm with you. And so we have a couple of things. The first point being perhaps the most important, the one you just made. It's not only true for gold, but how well oil has held up. Orange juice futures, all-time high. Sugar, live cattle. So there's been uh, not the case with a lot of the grains, um, uh, not the case with that gas, but by and large, a lot of idiosyncratic commodities, uh, and in many ways, people say gold is not a commodity, it's currency, but either way, holding up in the face of what should be extreme pressure from a rising dollar. Uh, either way, uh, it, 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 it's developmental is the word that comes to mind. It's, it's, it's fighting to not get worse, and it hasn't gotten worse. Uh, I think you want to own GLD and you want to own GDX and GXJ, small cap miners. We love having you on because you do extraordinary work and you bring it with you to this show. So let's take a look at some of the charts that you brought and I'll let you walk us through them and I'll comment as we go. Oh, yeah. So uh, S&P, we just put this out earlier in the week and um, we can toggle here. But before we do, uh, this is what we say the unforgiving trend line. The March low to the high of July was a 20 percent advance, an important move 
or the S&P 500. And then we had that outside reversal day, and we've been struggling ever since. If drawn this way, we broke trend. We snapped back to the underside of the trend line, hit our head, and have been basically deteriorating or, uh, for a while. Let's draw the other line, more forgiving. So if you toggle, first way, unforgiving, more forgiving. But we're starting to breach the more forgiving line. Uh, either way, you and you could put with your eye, of course, put in a nice small uh, downtrend line from the peak. We're into the wedge. We're breaching the uh, downside, converging trend lines, failing. It's just not a great place, uh, I think, to be committing long exposure to this security, IESPY. Doesn't mean you can't find longs and shorts, but this chart, this security, this being the market, however you want to measure it, SPX or SPY if you're trading it, buy, sell, hold, I'm a seller. It's interesting, a couple of things. So you mentioned sort of this big reversal. You know, my eye goes to the early July portion of this chart where you have, and it's going to be, we can't sort of, but you know, if the folks can take a look, you have that one line that's sort of longer than the ones both to its left and to its right. And that was sort of this engulfing pattern that we saw and the market really hasn't recovered since then. So that's something to keep in mind, number one. Number two, yeah, you know, the lines draw themselves, as you say. The first chart you showed, clearly we're broken. The second chart, which is a bit more forgiving, clearly we're on support. Let's see how that plays out. And then I will just mention, and to piss Amanda off, Unforgiven was an amazing movie. Anytime For you sure. have Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman and throw in Gene Hackman, I mean, what else do you want? And I I don't know. I'm just saying. He, uh, he, he was a real SOB, Gene Hackman. In that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, we have unfilled gaps, too. I know, Amanda, and let's take a look because here you go. And typically, as you point out, it's it, historically, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before these things get filled. And let's talk about what you brought with you. Sure. So this is the table uh, depicting the immediate unfilled gaps above and below, meaning the prevailing price is in purple when this was published 44.53. And we have a gap up at 45.67 above. And to fill that gap, far right column, it would take a 2.5% move up. Below, we have those immediate gaps of 2023 when the market really took off beginning this spring in March. And then uh, just for um, uh, for uh, inclusion, we have those back-to-back -back days of 2022, which are much further below. Now, those were the day that COVID vaccine mm -hmm. was announced. That's a big thing for a world that's under uh, lockdown because of COVID uh, a pandemic. And so the market gaps up realizing how important this will be. And of course, uh, the market has been much higher ever since. So point being, I put those in a separate category because uh, to fill the gap above for the market to go up 2.5% from here, uh, that's noise. For the market to go down and fill the June 2nd gap down 4 or 5%, that's noise. Now, to fill the March 29th gap 10%, that's, that's meaningful. Uh, but to get to the ones of November 3 and 4, you're going to get into a you know, a real a bear market, a Jeremy Grantham type outcome where we really have uh, something unhappy for equities. But keeping this table in one's mind's eye, let's look at the charts uh, that depict the gaps. Um, this is a one-year chart. And so, again, the legend, if it's a horizontal solid blue line, it used to be a dotted horizontal mm -hmm. red line, which means an unfilled gap. And then when the market swung back 
in the direction of the gap. It was filled, those lines turned to blue. So you see above us that 4567 unfilled gap when we came down hard on August 2nd. And then you see those gaps from the spring in April and May when the market was really surging. So that's one year. Let's look at the two year. Let's look at the three year. And so what we have is one could say, and this helps the eye, well, that's a long way down to get those two COVID gaps. Okay, so let's not talk about those. But is it a long way down to fill those gaps from earlier this spring? Not at all. I think one has to have it on their corkboard. This not because I produce the chart, just because it's a, a good chart to have on one's corkboard. Do your own version. But the point is, this is uh, a, a little bit of a buyer beware message. Mm -hmm. that, to embrace equities, believing that in 24 months they will be higher, uh, maybe so. Uh, but these unfilled gaps uh, are likely to uh, have to be answered. Let's go back to the first one and just take a look at it so you can visually see the, the numbers um, and go back one more if you could. It's interesting that you have obviously the one unfilled and this one, the, the first one we looked at with the unfilled gaps uh, when we have sort of the spread. There you go. So. I mentioned this because, as you said, to fill the gap on the upside, I mean, that's noise. You could see that over the course of two days. I mean, we've seen that historically. But now when you start to sort of layer on all these downside gaps, it makes you start to think a little bit, especially if you're of the belief and if the history suggests that over time these things do get filled. So I think the worst case scenario, and this is just my opinion, Carter, I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts. I think the worst case scenario for the market is we fill the upside gap and fail, and then all you have left are downside gaps. I think something more reasonable would potentially get us down to, I don't know, that 40, 30-ish level, maybe nine and a half, ten percent fill a couple of those gaps, and then take another run at the highs probably early next year. But that's the way my mind thinks. Is that is that a reasonable way to look at it, or is this me Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the fascinating part about it, too. It's all, it's not so much, you know, Wall Street has this convention. Uh, it only started in, in the late 70s. Tell us what your price target is for the market. They didn't do it in the 40s, because everyone knows it's a joke. What do you mean? You want me to tell you exactly at 4 p.m. on the 29th of December, or this year is the 31st, where the spinning wheel will stop and the market will close? It's absurd. Mm -hmm. It's about the path traveled, right? And that's why a lot of people say, well, we're expecting weakness in the second half, but we're good for now. So it's, does the gap down from August 2nd get filled first? Uh, do we fill it and make new highs and then go down? Do we fill some of these ones? Well, it's really unknown, but the point is it provokes thought and it, it, and it, uh, it helps. For instance, we're in a seasonally weak period. Perhaps some of these downside uh, gaps get filled because of an October spoon, right? Mm -hmm. or, or maybe we don't have any weakness and we rally. We fill the gap above. We're, we, we go close to all-time highs, and then everyone starts taking profits for 2024 and recession hits. It, that, that's what makes it interesting is trying not just to think about a level for the S&P, but the path traveled. You know, it's interesting, and, you know, I don't want to get too, you know, in the weeds here, but there, there are option strategy called knock-ins and knockouts. And I'm not suggesting people should trade these things. It's sort of the deep end of the pool. But if you were to go back to that real quick and people say, I, I, how do I find levels to trade against long and short positions or to develop an option strategy and stuff? But if you look at this and say to yourself, you know what? I admire Carter's work. I do think these things will be filled. This is my time horizon for it. You could start putting on option strategies that sort of encapsulate and encompass these levels. So I think 
it's fascinating and it gives you something to trade. It gives you a tool to trade with. And that's why we bring it up. And you know, Carter does, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of time to do this work and, and we're fortunate, obviously that he brings it with us in an extraordinarily digestible way. Let's do a, a little bit of a pivot here and go to Carl Keatonia's tweet uh, talking about the crude oil, which you've been talking about correctly for a while. Um, but Goldman saying we believe that most of the rally is behind us. Okay, Brent is unlikely to sustainably above 105 next year. Okay, OPEC is unlikely to push prices to extreme levels. Okay, I get all that stuff. And you know what? That all might be true. Here's what I would submit. I think crude oil can stay here, trade sideways for the foreseeable future. This is just my opinion. And the equities, the underlying equities can still do well. And I think your work suggests similar. Right, so we've had a strong advance. We published yesterday reversing the long call on oil to take profits to hedge, to do something. Um, and it's just about sequencing, right? We're, we're steep and uncorrected. And 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 again, think about what one of the things about consensus, if you look at polls and how it works, and it's the human condition, something called recency. We're all uh, fall victim to it uh, in, in different endeavors. When we were down at May, April and May, and crude is at 65 a barrel, and 10-year yields are at 3, mm-hmm. uh, three 4, recession, hard landing, oil's going to 40. And now when oil rallies to 90, well, I, what is the stupid phrase they've got now? Longer for, what is it? Higher, higher for, for longer. longer. I mean, these are like, these are like cliches. Higher for longer, and, and now we're going to 100 a barrel. Wall Street starts publishing. It's just extrapolating what's going on. I, I, you get this, you'll love this. This is a sidebar. One of my first jobs was a cold caller. Yeah, it's a word for a broker. I was a kid. I was in college. It was a Dean Witter or something. Anyway, that when a client would call up, he would he would they say what do you they say what are you interested? He would read off. He would look at the biggest movers out of the newspaper from the day before. He said, "Well, we've been buying some of this one, and it was up a lot yesterday. We've been buying some of this one. I mean, the, the guy." It was, you know, if, as a salesman goes, I mean, it's not such a bad idea. You just uh, not truthful, but of course, he was. He was basically saying he was looking at what was moving the most and telling the people that's what we've been buying. People just extrapolate. Right. It's, it's idiocy. It's good to stay on trend. It's good to respect trend. It's good to respect momentum until everyone's in agreement. And every day, ten times a day for the last five days, oil, 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 hundred, oil, hundred. The time yeah. that it was sixty-five. Now it's time to sell the damn. So let's take it. You brought six charts. I think we looked at the first one, but let's go. Let's, as you say, let's toggle back and forth. So a chart with no lines. Look how precise those tops are. 9364, 9374, 9374. And then, and yeah, well, that today, let me look this up. What did we hit today? Uh, CLA. We just touched a low of 80. 89.90. We just dropped from 93.75 to 89.90, three four dollars mm-hmm. a barrel, just like that. Now, I think, guy, you're probably onto something. We don't have to crash. We can just back and fill. But the point is, you get to a level where one can make a judgment: Do we buy more oil here when everyone's talking 100, or do we trim, we reduce? So, next chart shows the arrow. This is what was published yesterday when we got to that 93.75. And so, I think ultimately, two more. I think we've got here. We get down sort of into this zone. Final uh, iteration gives you a little bit of a channel, um, which you'll see. So we're we're trading it is sort of uh, ninety, what ninety one here, ninety two. We've sunk down into the channel from the point of the uh, note, but 
I think either way, take some profits, hedge. Doesn't mean oil has to crash. Just means when everyone's on one side, take the other side. Chris has a question. Guy wondering what you guys think of Caterpillar up here. I think Caterpillar, I think this is off the top of my head. I think that just made a recent all-time high north of 290. Maybe we can throw a chart up. Um, what I'll tell you is this has been sort of slow and steady upward, but you've had pullbacks along the way. So this is what I would say. And I haven't looked at Caterpillar in a couple of weeks, but so I was pretty close actually. But you know, on this move higher since June. You've seen some pullbacks along the way. And I think that's what we're probably going to get at some point as well. So this is a stock that I think you can trade it from the long side, but I think you have to find, you have to be, I think you have to be sort of tactical in taking profits along the way and then look to reestablish that long position. So looking at it right here, I think there's probably a leg lower first and then maybe it continues the uptrend. So I guess to answer your question, Chris. If you've been long this stock, I think you take a little profits, look for a better re-entry point, but continue to trade it from the long side. Carter, you might look at this and say pair of twos. Uh, yeah, or, or, or look, the, the, the most important data point is clear that breakout. Uh, that happened to be August 1st, happened to be news related, of course. And it was volume of uh, almost 11 million shares in a stock that trades two in a good day. So uh, a news related breakout right at a well-defined 52-week high to a new high. And now a lot of backing and filling and consolidating, uh, working off the overbought condition associated with the breakout. Um, what from here? I would suspect a little bit more backing and filling. And so pair of twos it is. We take we wanted to look, and we're sort of all over the map today, but there's a lot to look at. We wanted to look at the semiconductors vis-a-vis -vis the SMH. And this is something you've been talking about. We brought it up on Fast Money. I think we have, again, this is just my opinion. I think we have a potential textbook double top here. You had that huge move in early, late 21. You had the, obviously the flush. You had the move exactly back. And now here we are at support. This is obviously very heavy and uh, you know a handful of stocks. So I think to be bearish here, you obviously have to be bearish in the NVIDIAs and AMDs and those types of names. With that said, this doesn't look particularly promising to me, Carter. Yeah, so uh, we did a, a, a look back uh, on this one this week for clients from the original sell uh, notes. So you'll, if we toggle uh, the sell semis on August 2nd, and the, the price target given for SMH was 145. The question is, second chart, we're down to 145. Mm -hmm. Do you take the trade and run? I think it doesn't hold. So uh, rather than booking that one, we're going to stick with it and play for lower prices. Regional banks, obviously, they all bottomed earlier this year, March-ish, on the back of Silicon Valley. These are now our charts, but let's take a look at this because you had that bottoming formation. You had that big run-up. You went right to basically what we consider a bit of a downtrend line. Again, these are our lines. I'm not suggesting we're right, but they mirror the moving average, which, by the way, is still sloping lower. I think, Carter, there's still room to the downside here, and I think the same way you know, we had the big move in May. I think we can round trip this entire thing. So what am I saying? Well, I'm saying the regional banks of carry could probably trade down to 35. Also, I would say if you want to sort of take it one step further, that means the IWM, the small caps will probably follow the downside because they're pretty heavy, small and regional banks. Does this say anything to you, this chart? Yeah. So obviously it's a, it's a, a very broken uh, down into the right kind of affair. Clearly, we know why there was clearly news uh, associated with the bank and the plunge of May, the massive 
recovery to trend, the failure at the trend line, and now uh, a pair of twos, but with a bias to the downside. Uh, to your point of going all the way to the low, uh, that would be uh, what seven dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. You're talking about almost a twenty percent decline. If we were to go to those lows or even close to them, uh, generally speaking, the S and P will be considerably lower, right? There is, there is, I would say, I'd say no way, but it would be virtually impossible for let's say this. If it's like an if-then statement geometry, if regional banks were to get down to their plunge lows of May then the general equity market as measured by the S&P will also be lower. I agree with that because it's probably on the back of another bank, whatever, something happening yeah. to an- another bank or a number of banks. But you know, we'll take a look at it. We wanted to bring that chart. You brought some comparative charts. I always like looking at these because, again, it's just a, the visual. To talk about it is one thing, but to visually see things is entirely different. So let's take a look at what you brought. Uh, oh yes, this is uh, what this was a note this morning called two bombed out names on the mend." Um, nothing to do with one another. One is uh, a payment service processor, probably twenty-five billion, thirty billion uh, FIS, and the other is a life insurer. It's only market cap is four, five billion. But they um, year to date, they're down and to the right, but they started to heal. Now look at a two-year chart uh, comparative. Talk about bombed out, mm-hmm. bombed out, down, but. The rate of descent is abating, starting to bottom and base. So if we look at them individually. You, you'll see that this is, what I would say, the early throws of a bearish to bullish reversal, FIS, and Lincoln National, um, another. And if you toggle just between the two absolute charts, FIS, LNC, FIS, it's a common circumstance of what? Shocking preceding weakness, and then not making a low, not making a low, starting to base, starting to bottom. And so we're buyers here. We think it's very asymmetrical. If you're wrong, okay, it wastes time. It didn't go anywhere. We lost a little bit, made a little bit, lost a little bit. Pair of twos. If we're right, 10% up, 20% up, 30 I don't know if we have any other uh, things from the report, but if, if we don't, uh, that's fine right here. Uh, I'm a buyer. LNC, bearish to bullish reversal buy, and FIS, the same. And when I will tell the folks listening or watching that when Carter points out these bearish to bullish reversals or, you know, bullish to bearish reversals, they typically take hold. Now, you would even submit your timing. No, it's never easy to get the timing spot on. But you know what? It's almost doesn't matter because the formation is already in place. So it's really more of a waiting game at a certain point. Like the hard part is over. Then the difficult part in the form of waiting for it to move in your way takes hold. But you know, when you point out these, in this case, bearish to bullish reversals, they're very powerful. Let's take a look at Pinterest. People want to talk about it. They had a two-day move. It's pretty significant. Um, but we're still in this sort of, I don't know, I think we're in this pennant formation. You know, these are our lines. These are your lines. You think we potentially could break through. Um, but I tell you what, right here, I'm at a bit of a coin flip mode here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it is clearly into the apex of the formation and uh, soon to be resolved. The green arrow is a judgment. The red lines are fact, right? So um, we know that you have a well-defined downtrend line in effect since the peak when the stock hit 90. And we're up against that line to the penny, to the penny, and yet again to the penny. Do we push through as uh, the arrow implies? That's my hunch, but this is what makes a market. Uh, Others would take the, the sell side. I think we do push through. We got a question um, from Ben. 
Carter, what are your thoughts on PayPal? I haven't looked at it, but PayPal has basically been a $63 stock, I think, for the better part of the last couple of months. There's no bounce in PayPal, last I looked. And let's see. And yeah, here we are. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts here? Because, you know, we really haven't done a whole hell of a lot. Even if you can broaden that out, you'll see. I mean, this. Yeah, if you look at the longer term, it's two year or three year. um, As distinct from something that's basing and bottoming, this is still keeps making new lows, keeps dropping and gapping. I I just don't want to do that. Or said differently, I want to do it. Look, the chartist is a coward, right? I want to do it after you do it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be the first guy in the door. I want someone else to start to turn it, commit their capital. And if if it works, the stock will turn. And then we want to piggyback. Because what about the person that tried it three months ago or six months ago or nine months ago or 10? It's all been for naught or worse than naught. They've lost money. I want it to really start to base, bottom, come to life, and then participate respectively in the further gains. Yeah, it's a, I agree with you. And you know, if you look at it out, longer term, again, the stock has been nowhere now for the better part of a year. But within that, if you do shorter term, you can see percentage moves. We've had a number of moves both up and down and a stock that sort of appears to be bottoming. You know, I don't know here. It's but I think Carter's point is spot on. Let the let the market do the work for you first. So if you miss Maybe the first 10% higher, that's okay if you're going to have a stock that moves 35 or 40%. But there's no indication, in my opinion, that we're on the verge of that happening, Carter. Yeah. And again, you can see the sheer chart. There's a drop and gap in May. There's a drop and gap. That's very distributed. That's heavy volume to the downside. It's poor relative strength. Uh, it just doesn't act well, as the old time technical expression goes. We got it quickly before we go. Michael Del Sesto. You know, I went to school with a Chris Del Sesto. Um, question, thoughts about Oracle. Let's take a look at an Oracle chart because prior to earnings last week, this was a stock that was making a new all-time high. They reported their earnings. You started to see a slowing of growth. And I think what happened is the market got a little spooked. And they took the stock from, I think, about 125 down to about 108-ish or so. Okay. If you dissect the quarter, um, I think 74% of Oracle's revenue stream now comes in the form of recurring revenue, which is very visible, which historically companies get a premium multiple for. When you have visibility, the market rewards you. Oracle, in terms of valuation, is not being rewarded. It trades at effectively a market multiple. So, I think what you saw, again, just my opinion, is stock had a huge run. The quarter was okay, not good enough to sustain it. People pulled the ripcord. But I think if you were to examine the stock and examine the company, valuation-wise, you can't argue with it. And I still think they're sort of in a sweet spot. We traded down to what I think was support. And I think the stock can, I think the stock trends back higher from here. That's just my thoughts, Carter. And again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but that's the way yeah, I read into Oracle. No, I, I just pulled up the chart here and then we're seeing it on the screen as well. The, the issue with a drop in gap, right, is that it's invariably news, right? So the question is, and was the news uh, unhappy? Uh, clearly it was. It, the stock gets re-rated lower. And the key is the volume, right? You're talking about almost 68 million shares in the stock in a good day trades 6 million. And so let's say it never gets worse. Okay, so one said, well, if you're to say that, why not get long? It's just that it's capped, right? You've got, you've got all the people that bought before this disaster. 
And all of them are trapped in principle, wanting now to get the heck out. And so any move up, whether it's a dollar or two, 115, 160, wherever it could possibly press to, sellers emerge. It's like, thank goodness, at least I can sell it here mm-hmm. at 116 instead of the day it dropped and gapped and hit 108. But basically, you have left a lot of shares above, interested sellers who, not their fault, we all get them wrong, bought just before an earnings disappointment and now have a cost basis at 122, 128, 129, and their stock hit 108. And do they start to say, wow, it's 113, it's 115. I should just grab this. I think so. The great Carter Braxton Worth, ladies and gentlemen, we are fortunate to have him. I want to thank you. Again, wish Dan a happy birthday in the chats because he he will read them. um, And Amanda's going to read them for sure. So you can, uh, what do they do? Like fill up her inbox. I don't even know what the terminology is when you spam people, but we will be back tomorrow with the great Elizabeth Young of SoFi. Dan Nathan will be joining us again back from, I believe, Austin, Texas, where he saw the Pearl Jam last night. I want to thank the audience. Carter, again, thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow, folks. See you tomorrow.